Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, Editor-in-Chief of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, I talked to Taryn Towick, Hygiene Team Lead at Aura Health and Safety, about mitigating workplace safety risks. And now, on to the interview. I'm joined today by Taryn Towick, Hygiene Team Lead at Aura Health and Safety. Welcome to the show, Taryn. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Uh, and before we get started, I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do at Aura. Sure. Um, so as you said, my name is Taryn Towick. Um, I have been working at Aura Health and Safety for over six years now. Um, so we are a consulting company located in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, for American listeners. Um, and yeah, we do we do pretty much anything. Um, we do a lot of uh, exposure monitoring for uh, contaminants such as, you know, dust, crystalline silica, diesel, metals, uh, welding fumes, um, also noise. And we do a lot of um, hazardous building materials as well. So collecting uh, bulk samples and submitting them to the lab for analysis or uh, doing air monitoring during abatement, um, things like that. Um, so we pretty much run the gamut depending on what kind of calls we get. Uh, we've had, you know, anything from air monitoring in, in mines and heavy industry to, um, I think, one of the maybe more interesting things we have received a call for is um, a noise assessment at like a, a pet store where they were worried about the blow dryers when they were bathing the dog. <laughs> so <laughs> it can really be anything. <laughs> um, that's excellent. And you're also uh, president of your local AIHA chapter. Yeah, so um, the American Industrial Hygiene Association. Um, so they're like a international association for professionals um, promoting occupational health and safety. Um, and then they have local sections kind of all over the states and within Canada as well. So I became the secretary of our local section in 2017, 2018, um, and then recently took on the president role which is a um, three-year term um but yeah that's been been going really well we have a lot of events locally and um really try to engage with our members we also have an annual like an agm an annual general meeting where we bring in uh speakers and have a, a full day event so that's been keeping me pretty busy the last couple of years for sure excellent well, let's uh, get into it. Uh, start off, what do you see as the biggest issues that are affecting workplace safety and health? Um, I am a consultant, so take that with a grain of salt, because um, in consulting, you know, we we are engaged with a workplace. We usually go in, do our assessment, provide the results and the report, and then sometimes we might not hear from um, that place, that workplace again. Um, so, we don't often get to kind of follow a workplace. Um, sometimes we do. We have a couple clients that we're more embedded with. Um, so, but just from, you know, going out to so many different places, I do see a lot of, um, I think, an issue with places where they are very policy heavy, like they have a lot of written documents and really well written documents. And that's, great, but um, sometimes I'm not really seeing that turning into tangible 
actions and, you know, translating into actual um, things people are doing in the workplace. Um, I think that's one issue. I also think, and maybe this is because, like, we do a lot of work with um, workplaces where they have shift work. Um, I think that work-life balance is actually um, an issue affecting uh, workplace health and safety. And I know to an extent that might not be well within an employer's uh, purview. However, um, I think like post-COVID, uh, it's been good for a lot of people. We have a better work-life balance. We can work from home. Um, you know, you can do a couple errands throughout the day. You don't have to have your commute that kind of thing. But a lot of these industries that we work in, they still can't do that. Like um, right. mining, um, the film industry is pretty big out here, um, oil and gas. And I think that just leads to people potentially showing up tired. You know, by the time they went to work and came home, it's been well over 12 hours. So maybe they didn't have the chance to eat properly and sleep well and then I think they carry that into work the next day so I definitely see that a lot I think and that affects decision making too right so a hundred percent right like if you're well for me I need to get my sleep and I feel you know almost like I've been partying the night before if I don't get a good night's rest so um trying to work a extended shift, trying to eat well, sleep well, have time with your family, um, enjoy your time off while you can. Um, I think that really impacts people's mentality at work. And uh, like you said, affects their decision, affects their, their mood throughout the day. Um, and that can lead to some consequences for sure. I, I mean, are you, are you seeing in your experience that employers are paying more attention to that now than maybe they used to? I think so. I think that um, the pandemic really did shift um, the focus and the spotlight onto mental health, which is great. That's probably another one of the best things to have come from that whole experience, um, because I think it's recognized that a lot of people felt isolated or, you know, afraid. Um, and there really is no substitute for that face-to-face -face interaction with your peers and your coworkers. Um, so I think, yes, I think it, the lens definitely has shifted and, and employers are making an effort, um, but I think it still could use some work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what are um, some of the biggest risks related to climate change that you're seeing and how can businesses mitigate those? Oh, gosh. Well, you know, in here in British Columbia, um, we are... <laughs> we're experiencing a lot more uh, wildfires, um, size and uh, frequency. Um, this year is now the worst wildfire season on record in BC in terms of area burned. Um, it's approaching 1.4 million hectares. Um, so that creates a lot of issues, obviously. And um, even in areas of the province when you're not super close to a fire, usually we get kind of an influx of smoke, which mm. impacts a lot of people at work and questioning if they should be working outside. Um, we know at what point is the air quality too poor that they shouldn't be working outside. 
Um, so that is kind of a emerging topic or on the forefront of people's minds. Um, in 2021 here, we had like our Canadian temperature hottest record in Lytton, BC, um, 49.6 degrees Celsius, which I checked uh, is 121 <laughs> degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I know that's hot even in terms of Fahrenheit, right? So, yes, because I know a lot of places in the States get pretty hot as well in the in the hundreds. But I don't think I've heard of 120. <laughs> I heard of uh, just last week, I think Death Valley got to 130, which is insane. Uh, so 120 something is, is that's very high. Right. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of people still i think probably have a misconception that canada is a bit cold <laughs> mm -hmm. um but yeah we're we're getting up there as well and um also that year we had um like an they called it an atmospheric river <laughs> uh we had a ton of rain in november when winter was starting um it damaged roads it wiped away like some bridges there was mudslides and unfortunately there was some fatalities and emergency um, situations across the province. Um, so I just feel like, you know, these events are definitely becoming more and more prominent. Um, heat stress is obviously at the forefront of everyone's mind um, with terms like heat domes coming out and we are mm -hmm. um, experiencing just extended hot temperatures, which is very unusual for, for where we live. Um, most places in Vancouver um, houses don't even have air conditioning because the temperatures just used to always be so nice and and moderate. Um, mm -hmm. It's a big issue, especially for for vulnerable populations, but um, also for workers. And I think that a lot of employers maybe aren't as prepared as they could be in terms of having that heat exposure control plan. Um, and again, having those tangible actions of what are we actually going to do um it's one thing to say okay go sit in the shade and drink water but um you need to recognize that you're entering um, a situation where you might need to do that um, and i think we've seen a lot of people kind of have sort of like this hero or invincibility type mm -hmm. syndrome or mentality where they think oh that's not going to happen to me like i've experienced heat before and um, yeah, it's really not about that. It's about being like, okay, you know, I stopped sweating. Uh, it's 30 yeah, degrees out. Good. Maybe, yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's a problem. Um, so we've actually been working with um, the a film union here, IATSE, which is the um, International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employers. The local section here is the 891. And we've created a heat stress risk assessment app. Um, so it gives people the opportunity and the tools to use this app, go through the questions. Um, at the end, it can prompt you to take a, a screenshot of your results and you can show that to your employer, you know, and say, hey, um, we have a Humidex of 40, like we need to start implementing some uh, measures here. Um. Yeah, you know, you mentioned sort of that hero, uh, you know, uh, 
invincibility. There's also folks who are just, you know, are afraid like if they if they don't push through, they might lose their jobs. Uh, you know, especially for when you know, I know like it's a big problem in California where you've got a lot of migrant workers, you know, on farms and things like that. And you know, they they need the they need the work, so they're not going to say, hey, I'm it's too hot out, so they just mm-hmm. push through and then you know uh, succumb to you know some of that overwhelming heat. So it's a it's a it's a big issue. A hundred percent. I think we see that in, in um, some industries here as well, where um, you might be at a day call or something like that. And, you know, if you, quote unquote, make a fuss, um, people people don't want to draw attention to themselves, I think. Right. Um, yeah. But it's important that they know that they are protected and this is a real issue. And um, last summer we had quite a few um, issues about this specifically within film where people are working outside or sometimes they're working inside but it's a warehouse where there's not any mechanical ventilation so in the winter it's quite cold and then in the summer it gets yeah, yeah. pretty hot so um and I think like we've been seeing it across all ages too like I think younger people think that they are maybe more physically fit and mm-hmm. it's not a big deal um but some of them have been affected by heat stress as well um so yeah people really need to start taking it more seriously i think because it's becoming more and more uh frequent um and you know along those lines what's the best way to get leadership uh, business, you know company leadership on board with improving workplace safety and health you know Obviously, those issues you just mentioned are important, but even just sort of the everyday ones that, you know, kind of pop up. How do you kind of, uh, you know, go to your leadership and say, hey, you know, you need to pay attention and kind of, you know, advocate here? Mm -hmm. I think um, like this tool, this app that we developed um, is a good way. For example, having more tools available for workers that they can take to their employer and and show them, you know, like we're seeing some actual results here, like the app um, takes into account the temperature, uh, the humidity, what people are doing, what they're wearing, um, that kind of thing. So have again, like having something that is more uh, tangible um, that they can show them. And then I think for me, like in my work experience, we have to shadow people a lot during the day. Like if we're doing air sampling, we want to follow them around, make observations, make sure everything is okay. Like their pump hasn't fallen off or they didn't pin it to the wall or something, which has happened to me before. Um, But in doing that, like in shadowing people and spending time with the workers and talking to them and seeing their process, you really do see like, okay, this is not working. This could be done more efficiently or, you know, I've said to people, set them up with their pumps and their samples. And I said, okay, like, I'll come find you at lunch and we'll just make sure everything's okay. And they start laughing, like, lunch, right? Like, we don't, we don't get a lunch. Right? And I'm like, oh, so I think maybe just kind of getting more face-to-face with workers. And I know management and leadership doesn't always have a ton of time to, to do that, but it really doesn't take that much time, I think, because you know, for me as a consultant going in for a day or two here and there, I can easily kind of see what's happening. And and people are happy to tell you what's 
what's not working and what they're experiencing if you're if you're there to listen. So um, I've worked in oil and gas um, before I uh, got into industrial hygiene. And even then, like, you know, a really big oil and gas company, their upper management was at the toolbox talks every morning. So it doesn't have to be something too drastic. I feel like these little things, just getting more involved with your workers and um, having a better understanding of what they're actually facing day to day. Because obviously from a, a leadership point of view, it affects the bottom line. If you're, you know, if your workers are unsafe or if they're getting injured or, uh, you know, collapsing in the heat, that's going to cost you money in the in the long run. A hundred percent. And that's, you know, hopefully isn't what's motivating people to. Right. Yeah, but sometimes it is, unfortunately, and sometimes it is regulation and inspections mm -hmm. from your regulators and, you know, orders. Um, unfortunately, sometimes that's what it takes too, right? Um, but yeah, you're right. It's, you know, safety is really a win-win with, with productivity and work. Um, if people are in a better state in a better position, then they're also going to be more productive and happier, like your culture will improve. It's all it's all positive. Yeah, um, you've touched on it a little bit, but I was wondering if you could explain a little more about how industrial hygiene uh, is making a difference in these areas. Mm -hmm. I think um, as an industrial hygienist, when we go into a workplace, we really are able to put a number to something that was previously qualitative. Um, so we, you know, collect samples, we get our lab results, and then we can say, you know, your exposure was actually this. Um, I think that's really important because a lot of people will be like, oh, man, it's really dusty or something, but they don't actually know what it is. And dust maybe is a bad example, because usually if you can see the dust, you might be <laughs> experiencing a higher exposure. Um but some things, just because you might be able to see it or it has an odor, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's above the occupational exposure limit. So I think it just helps to um, reassure people that they're not being overexposed. Or if they are, um, we're going to implement controls. We're going to mitigate that exposure. And um, we can come back and test and show if those implemented controls are working or not. Um, so I think that's really helpful to make a difference. And I know whenever I go on site um, and I'm doing sampling campaigns, people have a lot of questions about what I'm doing and the fields. And I think they're usually really interested. So I think just that education piece um, is really helpful and makes a difference as well. Um, do you feel like workers are more receptive to safety and health measures than they used to be? Um, that's a good question. I feel like some some are <laughs> and some, unfortunately, I don't think are. And I'm not sure. I, I do feel like it does seem to be a bit of a trend where younger people are more open, probably because they haven't been doing the job as long. Right. They're not as set in their ways as right. maybe some of the older folks who have been doing this for 30 years. And it's the way it's always been. Um I know sometimes people make comments to me like when I want to put a pump on them and, and sample, they say like, oh, it's too late for me. Like, don't bother. Right. So <laughs> that's not 
it's not a great mentality. I no. <laughs> I don't think it's ever too late to really make some changes, right? Um, it's like people that smoke. Even if you smoked your whole life, if you stop smoking, I think the the changes that can happen are uh, exponential, even even later on. So, um, yeah, I think it depends what the health and safety measures are too. Like I know a lot of times because of what we do, we might sample and find an exposure that's a bit high um, and people might have to wear a respirator, maybe temporarily, maybe not. Um, so they are usually a little resistant to that because, you know, it's it's annoying sometimes and you don't want to, it, it's not easy to wear a respirator all day, but um, hopefully people can come to the understanding that we are really trying to look out for them at the end of the day and and improve their life and and health and well-being overall absolutely well taryn i want to thank you so much for joining me today this has been great yes thank you so much all right that wraps up episode 168 of ehs on tap you can find more information about the show and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com you can subscribe to the show wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time. Mm-hmm.